0: Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There you have access to other resources, information about who we are and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. The message you are about to watch is week 11. Today, we conclude our Pages series and ask the crucial question, how does it all end and what comes next? If you've missed any messages in this series, we encourage you to go back and listen to the messages you've missed. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. About three months ago, we began a journey together as a family of faith. And It was a journey that was born out of a burden that our pastors developed. And part of what created this sense of burden was an article that I came across that was produced out of a survey, a study that was done of the hundred largest metropolitan areas in the United States by the American Bible Society and the Barna Research Group. And in 2017, it identified Las Vegas as tied for the fourth least Bible-minded city in America. It identified our city as being a city that didn't understand or know or interact with very much the story of the Bible. So God burdened our hearts to go on a journey together as a church family. And that's been what we've been doing for the last uh, three months, 11 or 12 weeks. We have been looking at a, a series that we entitled, Pages, The Story of God's Love Through the Bible. Believing convictionally that from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the Bible tells one amazing story. And it's the story of God's love for you and for me. And when we began this journey together we started by laying down the foundation that the ultimate sto- the, the ultimate purpose of the story of the Bible is the glory and honor of God. You and I are not the main characters in the story of the Bible. God himself is the main character of the Bible and it is all for his glory. As a matter of fact we looked at a verse of scripture out of Romans chapter 11 that said this. It says for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. As you read the pages of Scripture, as we study through the story of the Bible, it becomes clearly and clear in our understanding that the ultimate story the ultimate purpose of the story is the glory and honor of God but as we began to walk through this together we jumped in right at the beginning in the book of Genesis and we spent the first several weeks digging into the book of beginnings because understanding the story of the Bible it's critical that we understand the foundation that's laid in the book of Genesis and Genesis taught us about the creation it taught us about the fall it taught us about the promise you say what does all that mean It means that God made us... To know Him and to love Him and to be known and loved by Him. That you were made for a purpose and that purpose is to know God and you only experience life to the fullest out of the overflow of a love relationship with Him. But as human beings, Genesis taught us that we sinned against God. And because of our sin, we lost the ability to have a relationship with God. The very reason we were created, we forfeited the right to enjoy that relationship because of our sin against God. But Genesis also told us that God loved us so much that even though we rejected Him and sinned against Him, that God made a promise that He was going to send a Savior into the world through His child, uh, his, his son Abraham. Through Abraham's line and lineage, a Savior would come into the world that would save us from our sin. Then we moved out of Genesis and we journeyed over several weekends through the rest of the Old Testament. And throughout the rest of the Old Testament, God began to give us more insight into the reality of our Savior. For example, he gave us the law. And the law shows us our inability to save ourselves. The law shows us we can never measure up to God's standard on our own. The law pointed us to our need for a Savior. And through the pictures in the Old Testament, the stories, and through the prophets, God began to clarify exactly who this Messiah, this Savior, was going to be, And how he was going to save us from our sin by sacrificing his own life, by giving himself up for our sin. Then we continued on and we got into the Gospels. And we began to see Jesus as the fulfillment of that promise that God made all the way back in the book of Genesis. That Jesus is literally God who took on humanity and Jesus lived among us as a human being. He did what we he could not do he perfectly fulfilled the law of God then Jesus offered his body on a cross as a sacrifice for our sin he took all of your sin and all of my sin on himself and he paid the penalty perfectly fulfilling all that the Old Testament had told us Jesus died for our sin But we learned on Easter that he didn't stay dead. Amen? He rose again from the dead as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice so that now you and I can be by faith restored to that which we lost because of sin. We now, through faith and grace, can be given a relationship with God. We can be reconciled back to God. Then last weekend, Pastor Travis took us to the book of Acts. And we looked at the mission that God has now given to his church. We now have a mission to take this story and tell the story of the good news of Jesus to the peoples of the earth. Because God is on a mission in this world redeeming unto himself a kingdom that's going to be made up of every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. If you get all of that, say amen. That's where we've come so far. This morning, this weekend, we bring our journey through the story of the Bible to a close. We're going to look at one last subject, and here's the subject. The coming kingdom. And here's the question we're going to wrestle with today. How does it all end, and what comes next? And some of you are already looking at this question and going, uh, excuse me, end? What do you mean, end? There's an end to this story of the Bible. Well, Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, this gospel of the kingdom. What's that? That's a phrase talking about the story. It's the good news of the story of the Bible that God is redeeming unto himself through the provision of his son, a kingdom from every tribe, tongue, people, nation. Jesus said this good news, the story of the kingdom is going to be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. But then look what it says next. And then the what? end will come the end of what the end of the world as we know it the word end here in this verse is a word that describes the final act in the cosmic drama this world as we know it is coming to an end. You know, if you're, if you're a married couple in the room, you're going to be able to identify with this statement. But husbands and wives are often very different. Amen? That's all right. You can say amen right there and they won't be mad at you. You're in church, right? Matter of fact, some of you are so different. You were celebrating your differences in a heated discussion on the way here to church this morning. Amen. (laughs) We won't call it an argument. We'll just say you were celebrating your differences on the way to church today. We're different, right? That, that thing, opposites attract. I've never read it in the Bible, but I think it's got to be in there somewhere because we're just, my wife and I are very different people. For example, my wife loves coffee. Like she loves coffee so much. We had a Keurig in our bedroom for three years. I'm serious. I'm not making that up. <laughs> And listen, I love her getting her coffee in the morning. The world is a better place when she gets her coffee. First thing, I want her to be able to roll out of bed and grab that coffee. But but I'm just the opposite. I think it's sewage water. I can't drink the stuff. I hate it. I hate the smell of it, the taste of it. I hate coffee. We're different in other ways. My wife has been diagnosed with a gluten intolerance. She's gluten-free everything. I like gluten on top of my gluten. I I like, just give me some more. Uh, She doesn't want it, give me her gluten. I'll take it, right? We're very different. Another way we're different is in how we read books. My wife does something that I believe to be the unthinkable. She reads the last chapter first. (laughs) Believing that that will inform her as to whether or not the rest of the book is worth her time, energy, and effort to read. I think that's crazy, right? You don't read the last chapter, but, but I got to give it to my wife. In this instance, in this instance, my wife is exactly right. Let me just tell you something. I have read the end of the story, and let me just tell you, it is glorious. This thing we called Christianity is moving towards a grand and glorious climax, and that's what we want to talk about this morning, So here's the big idea that we're going to unpack today from Scripture. Look at it. A day is coming when Jesus Christ will bring life on earth as we know it to an end. By returning in all his glory and his people will spend eternity with him. Now that's a good place for everybody to say amen is coming again. And listen, it's this very reality that that has encouraged and sustained believers for generations. Last weekend, Pastor Travis taught you out of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He said about us as believers that you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Well, he didn't read on down past verse 8 when the Bible talks about what happened next. Because what happened next is extraordinary. After Jesus told us about his, the, this mission that he's given us to go to the ends of the earth and this kingdom that he's building, Jesus did something unbelievable. You know what he started doing? He started floating. And not just like magic show Las Vegas levitation kind of floating. I mean, Jesus said, you're going to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and then gone. He vanished through the clouds. The Bible says he ascended back to heaven. And the Bible says the clouds received him out of their sight. Meaning they could see him and then they couldn't see him. He was gone. And the picture in the story is that they're just kind of standing there like, what in the world just happened? And so Jesus sends two angels down there to tell them to move along. And listen to what the angels say. They said, men of Galilee, what are you doing standing here looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, and listen, everything changed with this next phrase, will come in just the same way as you've watched him go. And since that announcement, for over 2,000 years, as believers, we have been filled with anticipation and excitement about that moment when Jesus comes again. And what we want to talk about this morning is that very moment when he comes again. But there's something very important I want you to understand as we dig into this. If you go to a Broadway play, most Broadway plays are broken up into acts. Act 1, Act 2, sometimes Act 3. The coming of Jesus is broken down into two very different acts. We're going to talk about those this morning. Now, there's a whole lot of debate in Christianity, right? About when he's coming, and what the timing's going to be, and what has to happen first, and how long it's going to be in between this. And listen, we can live for that debate. We can enjoy that. You can read all the books, and watch all the movies, and you can have those conversations. But there is two things we can, all as believers, know for sure, and that's the two acts that are going to happen. And I want to unpack those for us this morning. And here's the first one. Jesus will return for his people amen he is coming to get us and get this it could happen at any moment it could happen at any moment meaning it could happen before I even finish this sermon today he could come right now he could come some Christians I think have gotten so caught up in this world that we even view the second coming of Jesus like an inconvenience in our schedule We got stuff we got to do, things we want to accomplish, things we want to experience. Could you wait a little long? No, no, no. Listen, we, John said, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. It could happen at any moment. Let me read it to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. Listen to what Paul says. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, (laughs) just as you've watched him go, just like he went. He went up. He's coming right back down. He'll descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain, I don't know about you, but I want to be in that group. Amen. I'm not afraid of death, but I'd just soon not walk through it if I don't have to. Lord, if I get to vote, I'll be in the alive and remain category. Then those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, I love this, comfort one another with these words. You ever look at the world today and think we're in a mess You ever look out there and think, man, our kids, our grandkids, our great, what are they going to grow up in today? Here's what I want you to know. Be encouraged. It's not going to always be like this. He's coming again. And when he comes again, he's going to make all things right. Now, there's a lot about this coming that we don't know we can debate about, but let me give you three things we know for sure are going to happen in Act 1 when he returns for his people. Number one, the dead will be raised. Did you hear what he said in verse 16? He said, the dead in Christ will rise first. One of the most difficult aspects of my job is walking with people through the reality of death. You know, when you go to seminary studying to be a pastor, they don't give you a magic wand or magic words that take the pain and the sting out of death in those moments when you're walking with families. All of us in the room, but for sure every pastor in the room, has walked through the reality of death, what the Bible calls the valley of the shadow of death, more times than we ever wanted to go through in our life. When I planted, when God called our family here to be involved in planting Hope Church, when you plant the church, you don't think about funerals. It's just not something that's on the forefront of your mind. But the reality is, as you birth the church, funerals become a reality and a part of that. Some of the very people that God gave us early on that helped found this fellowship have now gone home to be with the Lord. I'll never forget Lowell and Edna Thomas. Some of you in the room that have been with us a long time, you you remember Lowell and Edna. When God first brought us here, we were all young guys in our mid to late 20s to plant this church. And we thought, man, we're going to reach all these young families. The first couple God gave us, Lowell and Edna Thomas in their 70s. And some of you, most of you, never heard of them and don't know them. But you need to know something. Their fingerprints are all over the ministry of this fellowship. If God's blessing you through this church, God's blessing you through the ministry of people like Lowell and Edna Thomas. A few years ago, their health started declining. They moved back to California to be with family. And a couple of years ago, Lowell went home to be with the Lord. He's now with Jesus. Death is a reality in life. But I want you to hear something this morning that I hope encourages. I'm going to put it up here so you can see it. Death is not the end for the child of God. Beloved, our Savior blew a hole in the backside of death, so death is no longer an end. It is simply a passage to a better place. Paul is teaching us here that when Jesus comes again, the dead will be raised. But I want you to understand what he means by that. Let me give you two things specifically. Number one, understand that those who have died in Christ are already with him. Lowell Thomas is not out here sleeping in the ground somewhere. He is with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with Jesus. How do you know that? Well, I didn't read it in the text, but if you go back up two verses to verse 14, listen to what Paul says. He said, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, he said, even so God will bring, say this out loud, with him. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ. Here's what that means. They're already with him. As soon as you leave this life, you enter into the presence. The last breath you take here is the first breath. The first breath that you take in the presence of the living God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Those who've died with Christ are already with him. But when he comes again, their bodies, what Paul's talking about here, is their bodies will be raised from the dead and be reunited with them and glorified. That's why Paul says here in verse 16 that the dead in Christ will rise first and they'll be suited with that body that will carry them for all eternity. You say, Pastor, how in the world can we be sure this is going to happen? Well, let me give you two reasons. Number one, because Jesus already did it. He died. They buried him. But he did not stay dead. He came back to life showing us that he's defeated death. Not only that, he's already raised other people from the dead. Remember in John chapter 11? John chapter 11, you can read it on your own time, but Jesus had some really close friends named Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were some of his best friends on planet earth during his public ministry. He would often circle through their home and rest for a few days and be nourished and be fed and be equipped to go out and do more ministry. One day Jesus is doing ministry in an away city and he gets word from Mary and Martha that Lazarus is sick and he's about to die. So they send word to Jesus, say, Jesus, if you'll just come quickly, you can heal him and he'll live. And Jesus is engaged in ministry to the degree that he does not immediately leave. He stays several more days. By the time he gets to Mary and Martha's house, Lazarus has already died. And he didn't just die a couple hours ago. He's already been dead four days. They've already had his funeral. They've buried him. And the flowers on his grave are beginning to wilt. He's dead. When Jesus shows up, Mary and Martha run out to meet him. And they're weeping and they're wailing and they're crying. Oh, Jesus, if you'd have just been here brother would not be dead jesus looks at him wait wait wait, wait. don't you believe in the resurrection Yes, we believe out there somewhere in the dark, dismal future that there'll be. But we right. Jesus, wait, wait, wait. Stop, stop. You need to understand something. When I walked on the property, the resurrection showed up. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, take me to the tomb. They said, we can't take you to the tomb. He's already started to decompose. It's going to stink. His body's already begun. He said, just take the stone away. They take the stone away. And Jesus, the Bible says literally, cry to with a loud voice, Lazarus. And listen to me, I believe if he hadn't specified Lazarus, every dead person in that cemetery (laughs) would have come bouncing out of the grave. Lazarus, come forth. And as soon as he said the words, Lazarus comes bouncing out of that grave alive as if he'd never been sick at all. Listen to what we read a moment ago. Paul says when he comes at this first act to get his people, the Bible says he's coming with a shout. What is that On that day, it's not going to be Lazarus. It's going to be all my children. Rise because I have come for you. Death is not an end for the believer. All the dead in Christ will be raised. Here's the second thing we know for sure. We will all be changed. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul picks up this idea that he's writing about in Thessalonians. Listen to what he says behold I tell you a mystery Now the word mystery means something not fully understood means Paul here is talking about something he's like I I don't even really understand what I'm about to tell you I just know it's true because Jesus said so look what it says we will not all sleep but we'll all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet For the trumpet will sound. That's what he just written in Thessalonians. He said the trumpet will sound. Then he says the dead will be raised. Here's a good word. Imperishable. And then look what's going to happen. We'll all be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable. And this mortal must put on immortality. But what's he talking about? The word perishable is a word that means decaying. Deteriorating. Deteriorating wearing out here's what Paul says right now we all have a body that is decaying it's deteriorating it's wearing out anybody identify with that today (laughs) the eyes don't see like they used to see the legs don't run like they used to run eternity pastor I'm not sure my body is going to carry me through this life much left the life to come no what is that it's a perishable body It's a part of the result of the curse of sin. God didn't make us to live temporarily but because of sin in the world now our bodies have been affected so that every day our bodies are decaying and deteriorating until they're buried in the ground. But Paul says when Jesus comes again this perishable body is going to be changed. It means to be transformed for the better and it's going to be changed into an imperishable. The word imperishable means undying incorruptible not decaying God's going to equip us with a body that allow us to live forever and forever and forever in his presence but this is not just about our physical well-being this has spiritual implications look look at the next verse in first Corinthians 15 verse 54 but when this perishable will have put on imperishable and this mortal immortality then will come about the saying that is written he said then you'll know this is true Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of sin is death, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In that moment when we're changed and transformed into that imperishable body, not only physically will we be able to tell a difference, but let me tell you something. Spiritually, we're going to be able to tell a difference. Every Christian knows the struggle I'm about to describe. There's a longing on the inside of you to please God, to love God, to honor His Word. But we also live with a longing in our flesh for the things of this world. We're tempted. We're enticed through the lust of the flesh and the eye and the boastful pride of life. And there's a constant daily struggle that every genuine believer faces with the flesh that they have to deal with daily through the power of Christ. But here's what Paul says. When Jesus comes again, that's over. That's over. The flesh is gone. The power of sin is gone. But not just the power of sin in my life, but the very presence of the effects of sin. Death, disease, poverty, famine, suffering. All of that gone when he comes again. Here's the third thing that we know for sure. All all will be raised from the dead. All going to be changed. And then here's the third thing. We'll all be together with Jesus once and for all. Look back at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says in verse 17, then we who are alive and remain, that's us, will be caught up together with them. Who's them? (laughs) It's all our brothers and sisters in Christ who've lived before us and died and are now with the Lord. Some of them we know. Some of them, like Lowell and Edna Thomas, and some of them that you know that you've done life with, you're going to get to enjoy a reunion. The word together is a word that means in each other's company. We're going to sit down. We're going to hang out. We're going to do life together again with those that we've known and loved in this life. But listen, them is not just those we've known and loved. We're going to get to meet a whole lot of new people, people we've been reading about. Abraham, Moses. Ruth, Esther, David, John, Peter, Paul, Barnabas for eternity. Listen to what he says. Thus we will always be with the Lord. Always. Act one. Jesus is going to return for his people. It's going to happen quick. It's going to happen so fast that the Bible says it'll be like a thief in the night. The Bible says two going to be working in a field. One's going to be taken. One's going to be left. Like you're working right beside them and then gone. It says two going to be at the mill grinding. One to be taken. One to be left. Two sleeping in the same bed. One taken. One left. It's going to happen so fast, the rest of the world's not going to know what happened. But every believer is just going to be gone. But the second act, it's not like that at all. The second act, Jesus will return with his people to establish his kingdom. The first act he's coming for his people. It's quick in, out, gone. Second, he's coming with his people to establish his kingdom. Let me read it for you. Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19 describes this scene. Listen what it says. And I saw heaven opened And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. You say, what does that mean? I have absolutely no idea. And if you ever meet anybody that tells you they do, run quickly because they don't. Because the Bible says nobody but him knows. Verse 13. He's clothed with a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven. You say, who's that? Oh, this is so good. It's us. We don't have time to unpack it, but if you go back in Revelation chapter 19, we've just been at a party. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. We've all been there with Jesus. We've been clothed in white fine linen, representing the righteousness that we now have in Christ. And we've been having a celebration, but now he's inviting us to come with him as he comes to usher in his kingdom. Look what it goes on to say. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of lords listen the first time jesus came he might have come through the back door of a manger in bethlehem unnoticed by the world but you need to know the next time he comes he's coming through the front door of the universe for all the world to see that's why the bible here tells us that that all the world's going to see it well how's this going to happen well mark tells us in mark chapter 13 Look over at Mark chapter 13. He describes what this scene is going to look like when Jesus comes again. Let's read it. He says, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. Now, hang on here for a second. It's important. I don't want to bore you in the minutia of the Greek, but this is important. This, this, this verb is in the passive voice. And that's important. Here's why. If something's in the passive voice, it means the subject, the sun, is receiving the action, not doing the action. Here's what that means. The sun is not just going to cease to shine. It's not just going to fizzle out someday. This means somebody's going to turn it off. Well, who's going to turn off the sun? Probably the same one who turned it on. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3, the Bible says, God said, let there be light. And the light of the world came on. And the Bible says, when he comes again, he's going to turn off the sun. Here's what's interesting. Before we even figured this out scientifically, the Bible says, and the moon will not give us light. Meaning this, nobody had to turn the moon off when you turn the sun off. The moon just stopped shining. Now, we know today scientifically that that's a fact because the moon simply reflects the light of the sun. They didn't know that back then. But the Bible says as soon as the sun went out, the moon stopped shining. Now, look what it says is going to happen. And the stars will be falling from heaven. And the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the son of man what's this powers of the heaven I believe it's all the laws of nature that are held in place through the sun moon and stars being constant but when they cease to be constant all these laws of nature are going to be thrown into a convulsion H.A. Ironside describes it this way he said everything that can be shaken will reel to and fro like a drunken man and supernatural events will occur among the heavenly bodies why is all this taking place I believe I know why. You ever been to a symphony? I spoke a couple of years ago on the western coast of Australia in a conference called the Keswick Convention. At the end of that conference, we flew back through Sydney, Australia. I had my wife and youngest daughter with me. We decided to stay for a couple of days in Sydney and see some sights because we didn't know if we'd ever be back there again. And so we're in Sydney, Australia, and the most iconic site in Sydney, Australia is the Sydney Opera House. So we went to the Sydney Opera House. We bought some tickets. The only thing they had available for when we were there was this symphony. It was a, the, the background music for a major motion picture that had been released in America. And the symphony that actually recorded it was in Australia. They were going to be playing it that night in this concert hall. So we bought tickets. We go into the symphony. And it wasn't anything like what I expected. When you walk in, everybody's talking. It's loud. I mean, the place is packed with people. And all the instrumentalists, all the orchestra down front, they're all playing something different. I guess they're warming up. But somebody's playing page 15. Somebody else playing. Page 35, and it is warming up on their part, and they're playing loud on top of it. It's chaotic, it's crazy. Everybody's talking, it's loud. You think this isn't making any sense, and then all at once they turn off all the lights. It's dark, and there's not a sound. And then the drum roll begins to play, and the lights come up on the stage, and everybody in the hall is fixed. As that orchestra now begins to play this beautiful symphony. You know what I think is happening in Mark 13? I think God is turning off the lights of the universe. And fixing all of our attention. As the glorious light of the son of God breaks Through the clouds, ushering in his coming kingdom. He's fixing our attention on the second coming of Christ. When he comes again, it's going to be revealing all of his power and all of his glory. But here's the last thing. When he comes, all the story is going to be over. It's the final scene in what we know from this earth as the story of the Bible. Genesis to Revelation, one story. God made us to know him, love him, be loved by him, but we sinned against God. We rejected it because of that. We lost the ability to have a relationship with God. But God promised to send His Son. He gave us signs and insight into who this Savior was going to be. Jesus came. He died. He rose again. Now by faith, we're reconciled to God. Now we're sharing this story all over the world. He's going to come and get His people. But then His people are going to come and usher in the end of this story as we come with Him and He returns. You ever read a good story and you get to the last line and it says... And they lived happily ever after. You know why every good story in our culture ends with they lived happily ever after? Because it's really a borrowed concept from the ultimate story in the Bible. Let me read it to you. Revelation chapter 21. After he comes, this is what happens next. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold The tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. You know what that is? It's the full circle, the story. It's been redeemed and reconciled. Verse 4, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away, and he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is. Is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And they lived happily ever after. as true as that is for his people it's not happily ever after for everybody everybody will spend eternity somewhere with him or apart from him it's why in John 3 when we read the summary of the story John 3 says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish see there's an eternal perishing apart from God or an eternal life in the presence of God have you believed in Jesus and that my friends is the story of the Bible let's pray together this morning God God I pray as only your spirit can in this moment that you would speak into our lives from your word in a way that brings response, worship, conviction, repentance. As we sit here quietly before the Lord, we have an opportunity to respond to what we've heard from God today. and. The response is going to be different based on who you are and where you are on your journey with Christ. For some of you, you're already a Christian. You're already a believer. And today, this word is encouraging for you. But it also ought to bring some burden. Maybe the way some of you need to respond today as Christians is you need to come and get in one of these altars and you need to pray by name for people you know, you work with, that are relatives or neighbors, that are lost. That if Christ were to return today, they'd be lost for eternity. Maybe you just want to come and get in one of these altars and just cry out to God for their salvation by name. Maybe you want to come and pray on behalf of our city where so many people are lost and don't know God. They need Him. You want to come and just beg God to move in a saving way in our city. Maybe you want to come and pray for the unreached peoples of the world people groups that have never heard yet the story. And you want to beg God for their salvation. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian and there's something in your job or your health or your family and you just want one of our pastors to pray over you. Our pastors are here at the front. You just come. We'd be honored to pray with you and over you and for you. But if you're here today and you're not a Christian... Everything that I've shared with you this morning is straight out of the Bible. It's not my idea. Straight out of the Bible. It's what the Bible. I read it to you. Straight out of the Bible. It's going to happen. The question for you is, what are you going to do with Jesus today? Are you going to, by faith, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? It's the forgiveness of your sins? Are you going to reject Jesus our prayer for you today is that you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God to run to Jesus. And when we stand in just a moment to sing this powerful song of worship that celebrates what we've been talking about, if you don't know Jesus today, you don't know for sure that if he were to come today, you'd spend eternity with him. I want to invite you to slip out from where you're going to be standing, come to one of these pastors at the front. And here's all you have to say: just say, I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a relationship with God. All you got to do is come. Just come. Just come. If the Spirit of God is prompting you, if you're sensing, hey, that's for me, that's the Spirit of God calling you, just come. Just come. Just come. Lord, have your way in this moment. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Let's stand.